Well, good morning, church. Welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you. I'd like to just begin with a, uh, an, easy, um, an easy question for you, and that is, why do we exist? Why do we exist? Why are we here? Um, existentially, as humans, I think that's a question that each of us has to come to terms with. Um, but it's a question that I have asked regularly of us as a congregation. Why do we exist? Um, there was, there, we were very close, and I asked that question because we were very close to not existing in this place anymore. Um, there was a time and a season in the, in the history of the congregation who meets in this building where the, this building was up for sale and under contract with a funeral home. And a, a series of circumstances that only God Almighty can coordinate. We're here this morning. There are no batteries in this. It recharges. I think there's a problem with the receiver. The receiver's not getting through. Okay, can you give me the next slide? Thank you. Um, so why do we exist? We, don't, we should not assume that uh, we have a day, and we should not assume that we get to exist in the way that we kind of always have existed. To exist is a gift. Um, what, then, do we focus on? Like, what do we prioritize? What, what do we do, really? Where do we invest our lives with the time that we're given? And that is what we're going to spend the next seven or so weeks unpacking. Um, what do we... Uh, go back to the title slide. Thank you. Um, what, do we, what do we invest our lives on as a church? And my hope is that because I, we have tried to look together at the, the, the answers that Jesus provides to those questions and adopt them as our own as a congregation, um, that they will be applicable to our lives as individuals and, and what we do. Um, so we're going to begin uh, this morning. And uh, because, we're moving, um, because we're moving neighborhood meal from dinner time to lunch time, we have a class also every month called Welcome to the Neighborhood through, in which we go through these nice little pamphlets here, um, and I do it in about 20 minutes. Um, so you guys are going to get slow-tracked, and we're going to go through this pamphlet. Instead of 20 minutes, it's going to take us six weeks, uh, seven weeks, okay? So if you want a challenge, I'd challenge you to, to stick with us, and uh, we're going to start today with our purpose, our mission on page one. And then over the next six weeks, we'll go through each of these values here. And so if you get signed off that you're here every week, then we'll give you a test at the end and you'll have to pass the final exam. Great? These, these are the jokes. You can't fail the test, actually. It's, it's one of those tests. I, I'm a millennial. Everybody gets a gold star. <clears throat> All right. Let's pray. <laughs> It's our habit together as Neighborhood Church to pray the Disciples' Prayer. Um, if you're not familiar with, the, we prayed out of the English Standard Version, and so the words are on the screen. If you'd like to pray together with us out loud, I'd encourage you to do that. But at the very least, I'd invite you to bow your hearts together, and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Our mission, uh, as Neighborhood Church, we, we articulate it this way, our mission is to, we are inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. The reason why we exist as a church, the reason why I think God has preserved a congregation on, on this parcel of property is because he wants a group of people who define their lives by inviting their neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. So if you are somebody who would say of yourself, I'm not somebody who's following Jesus, um, then great. You're welcome here. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you're engaging with this. Um, and I'd encourage you to continue to explore Jesus. Um, but I'm kind of I'm kind of showing you underneath the hood about how church kind of works and why what's the engine that's driving us and it's this uh, the reason why we're here the reason why we gather weekly the reason why we meet together in our homes the reason why we are constantly feeding one another is because we are inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus now uh, if you're if this is your first time uh, in interacting with neighborhood church this morning um, sorry uh, it's not going to be normal um, hopefully that's a good thing. But we've had a lot of, um, I typically will take a passage and we'll work through the passage and kind of unpack it and gain some principles from one larger passage. Um, this morning, we're going to kind of load up the shotgun and see what we hit, okay? Um, there's going to be a number of different verses. And so if you want to follow along, I'm going to give page numbers in the blue Bibles that are kind of tucked in the chairs in front of you. Um, if you want to follow along via the page numbers, or I'm just going to call them out, or if you're on our app, uh, the sermon notes has everything that I'm going to hit. So we're going to be flipping a lot. We're going to be reading a lot of different verses. And because we have been doing a Bible read through all week, we've gotten in the habit of doing a lot of just listening, just listening, just listening. And, um, and <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to be able to like, just listen. So we're going to get to a point in, our, in the message here where we're going to stop and sing, and then we'll go back and continue, okay? So, so just be ready. It's going to be weird. Let's get weird. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 is on page 1090 in the Blue Bibles. 1090 in the Blue Bibles, Luke chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 12. <clears throat> That is a, uh, that's a tradition that the youth picked up at camp, where, where when they open their, when, when the person's preaching, he'll say, open your Bibles, and everybody holds their Bible up, and they dance around a little bit. It's kind of fun. All right, okay, so I found the song, I found the song, and the youth were really excited about it, so that was, that was for the youths. Now you know what we're doing. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. Maybe? Ah, uh, I threw my hand. Oh, man. There we are. Okay, open your Bibles. Okay, that's enough. This, this is what happens when you let the youth run all the sound, sound system. All right, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, I'm going to pick up in verse 12. Jesus is speaking, uh, he uh, got invited to a big dinner. So rich guy invites Jesus over, they're eating dinner, and Jesus is talking, and everybody's surprised at how cool Jesus is. Verse 12, 
And he, Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, Hey, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed for, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And at the time, but he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. <clears throat> but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of the men who were invited shall taste my banquet. We'll pause there. So we have here Jesus at dinner, um, kind of, uh, he, he begins to teach, and I love when, when people begin to give religious language back to Jesus, and he's just like, yeah, you don't get it, um, which, is, which is what happens here. He says, blessed is anybody who eats in the kingdom of God. He's like, you don't quite yet understand what the kingdom of God is. Kingdom of God is like a banquet, and there are people who have been invited, but everybody who in, who's invited uh, offers excuses about why they can't come. And all of the excuses are bogus excuses. <clears throat> I bought a piece of real estate, and I need to go see what's there. Um, why'd you buy it if you didn't know what was on it? I, 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 I just bought a car, and I need to go test drive it. Bro. I just got married, and your wife isn't portable? You can't bring her in public? So we've got a bunch of bogus excuses to people that were invited. We're looking at this first section of our mission. We are inviting. And the kingdom of God is an open invitation. Jesus says, welcome, come. And, 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 and that's also our posture. We can hold up the word of God and say, we've got the truth and we stand on the truth, and we do. But then we can take this, this, this sword of the Spirit and begin hacking people to death, saying, if you don't get it, then you're not going to get it. And God says, the kingdom is like a party that you're invited to. And some people are going to decline the invitation. And they're going to give bogus reasons. But it is the king's desire in this kingdom that his table be full and so he invites those who are unworthy, those who cannot repay, those who are destitute. Jesus would call them in another place the poor in spirit, the bankrupt of soul who know before God they have nothing to offer him. Bring those in. Okay, okay, master, we invited all those and, and now they're coming, but there is still room. You will not, we will not fill the table of Christ. The mission does not expire. And so we are invited. 
We ask, but they have the ability to make the decision. Listen, this is what's been going on with me, and I don't quite understand all of it, but I have this hope for the future, and I think that you need a little bit of hope. Here's something that's concerning to me. There's a quote that has haunted me, and I can't even remember where I heard it. But somebody said, the reason why most Christians in America don't share their faith is because they don't have a faith to share. And that has haunted me. Every time I've talked about or thought about, like, evangelism is the church word. The king entrusts to the servants the invitation. To extend an invitation implies a degree of ownership, doesn't it? If I invite you to a party at my house, do you feel like you have the right to bring other people with you if we're not friends? No, please don't. Like, if I ask you over, don't bring people I don't know. Actually, no, no, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, you can ask permission. The thing, is, the thing is, I'm not putting myself in hot water. I'm putting Jesse in hot water because I will have not done any of the work if you're coming to my house. So, <clears throat> to invite implies ownership. We, we don't invite people to a party that we're not going to. And we don't invite people to a party that we're not actively helping to plan and also working to labor to be a part of. The servants invite. And so my first question is, are we close enough with Jesus to invite others to his party? Are we close enough with Jesus to invite others to his party? It's not my party. This is not my party. It's not your party. It's his party. And are we close enough with the master of the feast that we feel comfortable or we feel compelled or we feel empowered to invite others who do not know the master to come to his party? So we are inviting. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be on page 1084. We're just going backwards a couple of pages. 1084. in the blue Bibles. So that's the first part we are inviting. The next part, our neighbors. Now this one's real easy to pull out of the Bible because you got here, uh, Jesus teaching and a lawyer stands up to argue. We're all surprised by that. Behold, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he, Jesus, said to him, the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? It's right there. Who is my neighbor? We are inviting, we're, we're holding this invitation to this party, our neighbors. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell a parable that you have probably, even if you're not really a church person, have encountered. Um, we refer to it as the Good Samaritan. There's a guy that gets mugged, and he's laying on the side of the road, and there are three church people that pass by. There's like a, 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 a church goer, and there's like a deacon, and there's like a, a, a whole stinking pastor that see a guy mugged on the side of the road and walk by. But there's a Samaritan who to the Jewish mind was like an enemy, 
like, like, like somebody who was kind of disgusting and, and not really a part of us and we don't really associate with them. In fact, we don't even go down their street. We walk two streets down in order to avoid their house. Like we don't go near Samaritans. But the Samaritan was the one who stopped and helped the guy who had been mugged. So Jesus closes this story uh, in verse 36 with another question to this lawyer. Which of these uh, three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. The Samaritan, the person who, who was kind of gross to the, the audience that Jesus is talking to was the person who stopped and had mercy and paid for his bills and wrapped him up and took care of him. So the Samaritan, who is kind of the, 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 the yucky guy, becomes the hero. And Jesus looks somebody in the eye and says, go be like a Samaritan which as a Jewish rabbi would have blown their minds. The lawyer seeking to, uh, uh, seek, desiring to justify himself, the text said. He wanted Jesus to think highly of him. He says, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You say love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? They're living in a, a Middle Eastern culture where they already took way better care of their family than, than, than we do. Like, it was not uncommon for whole households, generations to live in the same household and take care of their family. And, their, and their, their concept of community, of like the people who live near me or people that I am for and are for me and we take care of one another, like they knew that. So the lawyer says, well, I, who are my neighbors? I live by all these people. Is that who you're talking about? And Jesus says, no, your neighbors are the ones who you don't really want to go to. And Jesus teaches them that your neighbor is everyone. Right. Great. The problem is, as Americans, we look at that and we go, well, if, if everyone's my neighbor, then I don't have to be particularly nice to anybody in particular. If, it's, if, it, if it applies to everybody, then there's no one specifically I have to love. So we are inviting our neighbors. Jesus teaches that that's everybody, that there's nobody beyond the, the grace of God, that anybody who can hear, who has ears to hear, we should be inviting. But also, I think we as, as a Western culture in general, as Americans in particular, and maybe even as Ocalians, don't actually love the people on our street. And so when I say neighbor, I do literally mean the people that live next door to you. Because I think Jesus literally meant the people that are next door to you and everybody else. And I think the, the lawyer that he was talking to already had that presupposition. And I think that we don't even have that presupposition. We need to go back and say, oh, maybe I should like, love people well that are nearby me. We are inviting our neighbors. In Jeremiah chapter 29, um, the people of God have been taken into exile. They're kind of put into time out. They're in a foreign land. And they, as the, the holy chosen people of God, are living among a pagan, uh, a pagan society and a kingdom. And the prophet writes them a letter because they are like, how do I love God if I'm so far away from the temple? I'm surrounded by all of these pagans, all of these disgusting people worshiping all different kinds of things, and nobody's sacrificing or, or worshiping the one true God. How am I supposed to stay pure and holy in the midst of a people that are not supporting my worldview? And he says, go ahead and settle down. Buy houses. Give your kids in marriage. Celebrate life. Plant vineyards. 
Grow crops. Establish yourself. And in verse 7, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Uh, another pastor in Ohio said this, and it is another thing that has haunted me. <clears throat> the disciples look on all of the, the ragged and broken people that are coming to Jesus, that are begging for healing and begging for bread. And they're like, God, what are we supposed to do with all these people? They're so needy. And Jesus looks at them and says, the harvest is white. It's ripe. It's ready. The harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. I think sometimes we have this mindset that the, the harvest, when we look at the harvest, what we see is our enemy. We say, those people who don't believe like me, that don't talk like me, that don't look like me, that don't smell like me, that don't have the same values as me, those people are the enemy. And what am I supposed to do with them? They're so needy. And Jesus would look at us and say, the field is ripe for the harvest. But the laborers are few. Do we see our neighbors as the enemy or as the harvest? We are inviting our neighbors. Next is to meet Jesus. We don't exist, I've already said it, I'll say it again and, and probably won't be the last time. We don't exist as a church to grow our church. We don't, we don't do a Bible read-through to make sure we have to put out extra chairs because we've got extra college students hanging out. Um, our existence is not just to get people into a building or to get people onto a live stream or to grow a podcast or YouTube views. Like, it is not about what we can accomplish in the room unless, unless by His grace, we can connect people and point people to Jesus. The resurrected Savior lives just as much today as he was alive before. And our goal is to connect people to him. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's on page 12, uh, 1203 in the Blue Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, page 1203. I'll just read a couple of verses, beginning in verse 14. <clears throat> but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. We're picturing a parade here. There's a giant parade. But thanks be to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like many, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So we've got a picture of a parade, and we don't do this so much uh, in our parades today. I don't know that I've ever seen it. Um, but in Roman times, um, if an army was coming back from the battlefield victorious, one of the things that was part of their parade is they would burn incense. 
So they would have incense going. So the parade had a very particular smell. A victory, you could smell a victory parade coming through the city, which is good because cities at the time didn't have like plumbing and stuff. So you want, if you're going to go outside in the middle of the day, you're going to want some help there, right? And as they come in, they bring the captives, the, 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 the victorious army brings the losing army together and parades them through the city to say, look at how we've won. And so that incense, if you are in the city, is the incense of victory. That Christ has come and defeated every sin and we can now cast all of our burdens on him. But if you are in the, in the parade as, as somebody who's been uh, defeated, that's, that smell is foreboding. It's sulfur. And the point I want us to make is, is I, I love this idea of the aroma. We are the aroma, the fragrance of Christ. Um, when I was in, in college, we had to do uh, weekly room cleanups. Um, actually, it happened three times a week. We would have our, our, our student leadership would come in and inspect our rooms. Uh, so we had to clean. We were required to, to re, yeah, we were required to clean three times a week, uh, which is a lot for college-age boys. <clears throat> and I figured out something. Smell covers a multitude of sin. I could go into a filthy bathroom and put a little bit of bleach in the toilet, and as long as I didn't flush it, when, and close the door. You got to close the door. When, when the inspector would open up the door, the fragrance of bleach would fill their nostrils first. And they didn't look very hard at the rest of how dirty the bathroom was. I thought that was pretty brilliant. I thought you were going to like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we are ambassadors of Jesus in every aspect of our being. When we show up, when we show up, the first thing people smell, or what is, I guess, the first thing people smell. Now, y'all are sitting without AC. I understand we're not talking BO. We're talking about, like, the, 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 um, what your life, your being, your essence emits where you show up. However we show up in any place we go, we emit the, the incense of Christ. Like, so who are we? Not on Sunday morning, because it's pretty easy to be pretty polished for an hour a week. But who are we when we get to the sidewalk? How do people walking by our house perceive us? What is it that they smell in the places that we inhabit? When, when there are no short lines at the grocery store, and when there's only one cashier at Aldi, and you can see there's three others that are taking a break, what is the incense that we are exuding? Because Jesus, Jesus transforms who we are. Who are we when we get to the sidewalk? Jesus changes our whole being. I'll ask Carlos uh, and the crew because we're going we're gonna, to um, sing real quick. Who are we on the sidewalk? In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's just another page over. You don't have to flip. I'll read it to you. Uh, the author writes this. He says, The love of Christ controls us in 5.14. And in 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Like, our goal is that people would meet Jesus when they meet us. 
that whether or not they want to hear our preaching, whether or not they want to hear what we read about in Bible study, whether or not um, they, they want to listen to our message, they interact with Jesus by meeting us wherever it is that we happen to be. We are the fragrance of Christ because he has made us a new creation. I don't know what the enemy is bringing to mind and reminding you of the things in the past that were, that were overwhelming to you, but he says, I have conquered sin and I have made you new, and if you are mine... I will use you to spread my incense through the rest of creation. And that's the hope that we have. We were dead and we are alive. Let's stand and sing. Rush. 
we come to you. Father God, we come to you. Spirit, we come to you. We need you. Lord, if, those, if there are those who are within the sound of my voice that have not turned their life over to you, God, I pray that you would draw them in, that you would give them the faith to respond, that they would trust you maybe for the first time this day. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's sit together. This was supposed to be my halfway point, but I'll shorten it up for you. Look with me in Acts chapter 26, page 1168. We're inviting our neighbors to meet Jesus and to follow Jesus. Acts chapter 28, verses 24 through 32, tells a, a kind of an interesting story. Uh, the Apostle Paul has been arrested and he's put on trial um, for his faith. And it's interesting, he gets up and he doesn't start defending himself and telling all the reasons why he's innocent. He actually just gets up and starts sharing his testimony about the work that Jesus has done in his life. And it's a really interesting story because he ends up having to give this testimony. He ends up giving this defense in legal settings three times to three different leaders. And the last one he's kind of excited about because it's not just a Roman pagan uh, leader that he gets to testify to. It's somebody who has a Jewish heritage, somebody who knows the Hebrew scriptures, somebody who's familiar with everything that's been going on, um, and who would have been aware of what had happened in Jerusalem when Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and resurrected. So, and that's who he's speaking to in Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 24. And as Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus, the pagan guy, said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. 
And Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king, the guy with the Jewish background, knows about these things. And, I, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And King Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might be such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king arose, and the governor and Bernice, who were those who were sitting with him, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. <clears throat> We live in uh, what some refer to as the Bible Belt. And most of your neighbors will tell you what church they belong to. And few of them will be able to give you any, any conversation at all about what their like, relationship to Jesus actually is. They know the right words. They know the vocabulary. They've heard the stories. And yet what's heartbreaking about this is that Paul's speaking to somebody who knows and should know and is trying to persuade them, inviting them, not just to know and not just to, to have heard the stories, but to follow Jesus. And the man hears what Paul has to say. And he gets up and leaves and says, man, Paul's a pretty cool dude. I like that guy. It's a bummer about what happened. Pastor Mario uh, at Good News Down the Street preached this passage, and he said, <laughs> he said, there's a lot of people here that like, come because they like to hear me talk, and I appreciate that, but if that's all you come to do, and if you walk out on Sunday morning and talk about how, how much you like the preacher, then, 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 then we are failing. If our, if our mission is to invite our neighbors to meet, I hope you meet Jesus in this space, but also to invite them to follow, to commit their lives, to submit everything to them. The most frightening passage in the scriptures uh, comes from the lips of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, the conclusion of one of his sermons. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who knows my name, not everyone who even acknowledges that I am Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storm came, their life did not fall apart. I hope that as you interact with our family, I love our church body. I love that I can put college students that, they've, that, that you have never met before into your very homes. And I know that the love of Jesus will be expressed to them without question. So I hope that as we show up, Neighborhood Church, in our community, that people will meet Jesus through meeting us. And yet, that is the first part, that is permission to invite them also to become as we are, and follow him. We are inviting our neighbors to meet and follow Jesus. That's how we say it. But perhaps Jesus said it better. 
Would you stand with me and read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20? And Jesus came and said to them, I'll just say real quick, these words are recorded for us in, originally in Greek, and the grammar of the Greek shows us something that we can't see very readily in English. There is one command in these verses, only one. The command is make disciples. I know it looks like it's go, but the command, the only imperative in the Greek language in these verses is make disciples. Invite neighbors to meet and follow, follow Jesus. Make disciples of Jesus. Everything else modifies make disciples. Teaching and baptizing, learning, observing, those things modify make disciples. Go is as you are going. Since you're already going to be out in the world, since you're already going to live in a place with a house, since you're already going to have an apartment complex, since you're already going to be at school, since you're already going to be working someplace, as you're going, wherever you go, whatever you do, make disciples. Salt is good, but if it has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or in the newer pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, you've done so much already this week, and we thank you for it. We are unworthy to even have your name on our lips, and yet you would not only... Uh, let us say your name, let us know your name, let us know you, but you would allow us to declare it to others, imperfectly, doubtful as we are, weak and humble. We thank you, and we pray that you would do the work that only you could do, that you would bring the dead to life, that you would give faith to the faithless and hope to the hopeless. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.